Welcome back to Fishnets and Philosophy. This is your host, Mix Bell Morrigan. And once again, I'm continuing my exploration into the question, why horror? Where each week, myself and a different guest explore the topic. This week, I am joined by the absolutely fabulous Mary Wilde, the, also known as the Freudian cinephile. <laughs> and um, we're going to try and just jump in and pick apart this topic. So before we jump in, if you could just kind of introduce yourself there, Mary, kind of what your work is and your kind of connection to horror. Sure thing. Thank you so much, Belle, for having me on as your guest. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, so um, I am Mary Wild. I do work on psychoanalysis and cinema. I run a lecture series at the Freud Museum in London called Projections, which deals in uh, psychoanalysis and cinema. Uh, in fact, this month I'm celebrating 10 years of my lecture series. So... Oh, wow, well done. Round of applause. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, and I also contribute to the evolution of horror. I do a segment on there called Wild About Horror. I co-host a podcast called Projections, which is named after my lecture series. I co-hosted with Sarah Cleaver, a dialogue on psychoanalysis and cinema. And I also create exclusive content on Patreon. <laughs> Amazing. And I would implore anyone to support Mary's Patreon because just lots of good content there. But yes, thank you so much. And yes, as I was saying before we started recording, I always like to kick off these conversations with this first question because I think it's the one that everyone who's a fan of horror genre and genre cinema probably has an answer for so um, (laughs) first kind of question what was the kind of first horror film that you remember watching I I used I actually had phrased it as that you watched and then I realized a lot of people probably would have watched it when they were kids and don't remember it so that you remember (laughs) watching and then kind of slightly adjacent to that because sometimes the film could be different What's the horror film you remember that made you a fan of the genre? Oh, I love your questions, honestly. Um, (laughs) So basically, the first one I remember watching was a film called Pieces. Do you know it? No, it's not. It's not jumping out at me. No. So it's like it's I think I don't think it's really that well known. It's from the early 80s, mm-hmm. I think 1982. And um cuz I'm like I'm a Gen Xer, so I remember like being a little kid at the video store, always mm. running straight to the horror section. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I was obsessed. And um I always was like gravitating towards this one film with a cover that showed a lady a lady with like who had been created out of the parts of other women. So she'd been sewn together. Like it was like a slasher movie. (laughs) So the different parts of various ladies had created this one kind of stitched together woman. Mm. And I love the cover. I thought it was like hypnotically beautiful. It didn't like scare me or unsettle me. Mm Because I think the trick for me was that I knew that film was make-believe so Mm. that right away like made me feel comfortable that nothing was really going to harm me and that was great because it meant I could watch so many things and not feel limited by fear and Mm. so pieces was the first one I ever watched and I have to say the actual film was (laughs) kind of disappointing um (laughs) I did it didn't live up to the glamour of the cover Mm. but the film that made me a fan of the genre was The Exorcist <laughs> oh good solid choice and yes I think that's the uh, that's a strong entry point for a lot of people like oh horror is my jam after watching this film yeah <laughs> and, for sure yeah, great choice but no that piece is one sounds interesting and I like what you say there as well about how the film didn't live up, live up to the cover because I think that's <laughs> often the gamble that a lot of horror fans make especially back in the kind of era of like the video covers and the video stores you go yeah. oh look at the cover the cover art and then you watch the film and it's like oh 
it's it's not <laughs> as good as the artist's rendition and it's always the gamble of the horror fan yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> but I like that but also before we jump into any of the other questions I have I mm. love what you said that knowing that you know the films were make-believe was almost like a protective barrier to feeling the fear I think that's a really interesting way of approaching it because like uh, like was that something that you always had like was it that you were kind of had maybe like elder kind of like parents or siblings that were kind of like hey this stuff isn't real and that was like helped you get into watching films or where did you approach it from that yeah I mean I wish I could tell you that I came from a household that was like super arty (laughs) and was like encouraging me that was not the case I came from a very conservative Mm. very strict household um so in a funny kind of way I think that horror was this perfect rebellious act that Mm. I could pick up and and sort of like it 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 made me feel free and it gave me a little bit of liberty to explore things that were deemed taboo in my household Mm. um and I think because um you know unfortunately even at a very young age um you know I'd already like um seen a lot of traumatic things you know mm, in my mm. life um things that you know sh- no kid really should be w- should bear witness yeah. to um and so in a, in a way i when when i made the connection that film and tv were you know fiction mm-hmm. um and make believe i felt that those were actually safe spaces to like process some of the mm. fear that i had picked up elsewhere and I don't know how. It's a weird instinctual thing. No one really had taught me that. Okay. I just knew that if it was happening on the screen, there was like a distance between me and the content. So it couldn't harm me, you know? And I, I just made that connection and I realized this is actually like a good place to escape to. I weirdly enough, I feel more safe watching pieces <laughs> than I do in other, you know, circumstances. Mm. So yeah, so I, I just somehow it was like a real um, safe haven for me. No, I love that, and um, thank you for sharing that as well. But no, that is yeah. really interesting, and I do think when it comes to horror fans, like it is, it tends to be one or the other. It's either the case that like you actually have like a parental figure or an elder sibling that's like your guiding (laughs) hand into the genre that's kind of just like okay younger child younger being (laughs) you are going to watch these films this will be your upbringing or it's the case that as like you know you have more conservative background and it's actually you're rebelling like isn't you've been told you're not allowed to watch this (laughs) stuff and then of course if someone's told you can't do this the instinctive behavior is to go no no I want to do this now because I'm not allowed it's taboo so yeah, yeah I think it's really interesting it's one or the other with horror fans but I think this is actually this is normally one of the ones that I kind of close out the conversation with but yeah. I think it's a perfect time to bring it in now because you're talked about how horror became this kind of safe haven place for you I want to mm-hmm. know like what are your comfort films within the genre like if you've had like a bad day or a bad week like what horror films do you instinctively kind of go to to kind of you just know you'll have you'll be I guess you'll have a safe time or a good time with it Sure, sure. So um, I'll name like a couple. Yeah, uh, go a, ahead. A handful. <laughs> More the <than> merrier. Um, <laughs> weirdly enough, um, I love Possession by Andrei Zulavsky. Mm-hmm. I love that subway scene where she just goes berserk. <laughs> um, I find that kind of like bodily performance somehow comforting um, because there's like a release, you know, there's something Mm. cathartic going on there. There's something, there's there's this like pent up energy that just gets like liberated. And I love witnessing that on the screen. I really love Starry Eyes. Um, Yes. What a film. What a film. (laughs) What a film. (laughs) Yeah. Like again, there's something, I guess, very similar type of like Mm. physical performance, you know, with like the fits, um and uh and I guess yeah it's kind of a interesting journey that someone goes on uh, a journey of transformation mm-hmm. and another comfort watch for me <laughs> weirdly enough again um probably 
American Psycho. <laughs> oh yes, that's I like. I like that choice. That's that's good. You can find comfort in Patrick Bateman's insanity. I guess yes. <laughs> but also, just what a performance from Christian Bale! Like yeah. it's just iconic. Like as in everyone who thinks of Christian Bale as the actor thinks of that film because it's just yeah. stands the test of time. But yes, what a good choice. I like your choice. It's kind of very kind of overlapping, but also distinctly on their own as well nice choices there I like that (laughs) thank you Um, and stemming from that this is one that I'm really interested to see your perspective on because I'm like I think a lot of horror fans kind of like are slightly different but I want to know like do you have like kind of personal criteria for what you would kind of be considered this is a horror film this isn't or for yourself is it kind of more fluid and flux um Sorry, would you mind repeating the question? It just went funny for a second. Oh, yeah, yeah, no worries. I'm um, so sorry. No, no, no bother at all. That's technology these days. <laughs> Thank you. No, I was just going to say for yourself, like, do you have personal criteria for what you would consider a horror film to be? As in, is it like, you know, clear lines on one side is horror, on another side isn't? Or is it more fluid and flux when it comes to f- the films that you're watching? Great question. Great question. Um, I know that there's a lot of discourse around this. Mm. Um, For me personally, uh, obviously, if a film is having a subjective effect on Mm. the spectator, um, and if it's giving me, let's say, I'm going to use myself as a case example, Mm -hmm. if it's giving me the (laughs) heebie-jeebies, then it's a horror film. That's the only criteria on my list. And funnily enough, I wouldn't even, um, you know, I think that I think that's possible in really a lot of different genres. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the horror genre is, you know, consciously employing tropes to, mm-hmm. you know, with the intention of producing an effect like that, uh, whether that's, you know, whether it is like feeling like that creepy sensation mm. watching a movie or jump scares, you know, what everything in between. Um, but I, in, in, you know, I'm just a lot more, um, I just cast my net a lot wider, really. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in fear um, in whatever context that it occurs. So f- for me, my only criteria is heebie-jeebies. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um and I also love how you prefaced it by kind of saying, you know, if the film elicits a subjective response in a viewer, because I, I just love that, you know, um, definition, because that like links into another question, which is mm. one that I'm really interested in. And it's one that like, as I've explored this series and talked to more people, I've definitely like moved more to the side that this is definitely something that people in the real world have and it's not just relegated to twitter and online spaces but i often see this reaction from certain types of like you know horror fans where they'll say this film wasn't good because i wasn't scared and (laughs) like i want to know what you think like do you think like a horror film needs to be scary to be considered effective? And um, because I love how you said that at the <laughs> the other question about does it elicit a subjective response? Because I like I really yeah. like that clarification. But what do you think? Do you think <laughs> like you know fear needs to occur for a horror film to be considered effective? This is such a great question. Um, I sorry, I'm such a fan of the question you all the questions you shared with me. Like I can tell that you're like a real philosophy person. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, <laughs> this is this is amazing. Um, yeah, it's it, it's really a worthwhile question to ask because there is this ongoing, I suppose, debate, and it mm. does appear a lot on social media, and maybe it's picking up, you know, traction in the industry and stuff um about this this question like oh it's this this doesn't actually count as a horror movie because I watched it Mm. and I wasn't scared (laughs) and um and I can't I couldn't disagree with that more frankly you know because Mm -hmm. you cannot um no viewer has really the right to set themselves as the barometer for Mm -hmm. the potential horror you know in a film uh, th- these things are so dependent on 
the psychological projections that every single viewer is making, you know, mm -hmm. and it, it, it would trigger, you know, so many very specific reactions that maybe for like the person making that judgment call, it just wouldn't ring true. And I think that it's really gatekeepy. Mm, yep. <laughs> And I don't like that. I don't like it because it's sort of like trying to exclude people as well. You know, people mm. who've enjoyed a movie and genuinely found it scary. It's excluding them from, you know, the, the really the, the validity of, of, of judging a movie. And I think that's, that's not okay. I think what, I think the correct re reaction, you know, it's just totally valid as well is lots of people seem to think this is scary. This didn't have an effect on me, but you know, it is what it is and that's that's fine but to try and you know absolutely like declare something mm -hmm. as whether or not belonging to the horror genre or not I just don't even really see what that achieves because because you know like I'll give you an example sometimes like I'll watch um the Kardashians mm -hmm. yep <laughs> I know that that's not a horror series like it's not objectively a horror series it's not working within the parameters and the tropes of of that genre but i watch it and i genuinely get scared <laughs> i was gonna say it might not be objectively horror but to certain people subjectively definitely so <laughs> <laughs> yeah like it's subjectively scary to me i feel like you know, and I say that with, with much love and affection. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to like disparage the characters in that reality show because um, they get so much hate. I mean, I'm not trying to add to that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like it's an unintended consequence of their show because there's certain things about their show that feels uncanny to me. Mm -hmm. And like um, certain things, certain characters like Scott Disick, I find him really like scary. <laughs> I think that seems to be the common like, it's either he's scary or like disturbingly humorous Teen, ten, <laughs> tends to be like the main takeaway from anyone I know who's like an avid watcher of the show whereas like I just kind yeah. of my watching is people's reactions to it because I don't actively <laughs> watch it I just like to see what how people are reacting because that's fun <laughs> yeah exactly totally it's so much fun but I love everything that you've kind of said there about mm -hmm. how you know there is this element of kind of like gatekeepy and tr mm. someone trying to kind of like make a declaration that, you know, I am the person who rules <laughs> all when it comes to what horror is and isn't. And I think it's like almost like a re reaction to even though like that phrase has kind of been done into the ground now with that phrase, let people enjoy things. I think it's almost a weird kind of reaction to that type of mentality of like, no, you know, my opinion is more important than someone else's joy. So I'm going to like, you know, tell yeah. them they're not allowed to enjoy it. Such, yeah, perfectly said. It's like, wow, glad you've assigned yourself a grand cultural curator. You know, <laughs> what would we do without your godly determinations? Like, please, you know. <laughs> exactly. It's, oh, yes. And actually that, it, I'd say for me, I definitely think it's a, the Venn di diagram of these type of fans is very much a circle, but I think it's the same type of fan that like, I see this all the time as well. And it seems again to be like a vocal minority on in online spaces. But I know yeah. that there is people out in the real world who feel this way, but there is a certain subset of horror fan that kind of like, bemoans the state of modern horror they're kind of like going there's no there hasn't been any good horror films since the 80s or something like that and I'm just wondering where do you think that attitude stems from myself personally yeah. I think it stems from an attitude of I'm a straight white man and I'm no longer <laughs> the focus of this film but I want to know what you yeah. think is where the attitude comes from <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I've ha definitely have heard people say things like that, which frankly, like, um, really confuses me. And mm. I feel so gobsmacked to hear people say that because, you know, my all time favorite film, irrespective of genre is Black Swan, you mm -hmm. know, and that was a fairly recent release 2010. And I hear people say things like, oh my gosh, you know, like you just said, like, it, it, horror movies have just it's just been downhill since the 80s and it's like well I can only assume that it must be either because they're saying that because they haven't really engaged and mm. it's a very lazy way of like 
um, declaring supremacy on the content that they have already caught up with. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and it's just because they haven't actually taken the time to like authentically, you know, and sincerely engage with uh, new, new releases, you know, new content. Mm-hmm. So it is just like a convenient way to hide behind the past because you haven't actually been like forward thinking. But then again, sometimes I always, I also think that there's something, you know, aligned with what you said, uh, where the subject at the center of the story is becoming a little diverse. And mm-hmm. and when there is that change or let's say shift in focus, mm-hmm. um, people who are hung up on the way things used to be feel uncomfortable. So they use the past as like this, you know, like an excuse that yeah. it, things were just better then, um, than they are now. So I think it's a, maybe a combination of both, or maybe they're just like very pretentious and they're, pre- pre- you know, they equate, uh, new content as automatically being bad and mm. because it doesn't have a cult status yet, it's literally just been released, you know? And so it's just that kind of thinking. And I, I find that all very limited and very boring. <laughs> Yes, I like that you ended on very boring because I think that is the case. It's just like, like you know, are, don't you want to expand your palette? Like, you know, don't we yeah. want to consume more things? Like surely, like, you know, that's what, you know, being alive is all about. It's like, you know, ex- like getting in more flavors and more tastes. Like, you know, why do you want to just stick to one place? Like, you know, yeah, go, exactly. go to the buffet. <laughs> um, but I love how actually that before I move on to another question, but I sure. really like what you said there about how, there is this like these this type of fan probably there is an element of like feeling uncomfortable or discomfort with the shift because I think that's a like a genuine kind of like insight into what is going on because I think just like more white on a wider societal basis we're kind of like not encouraged to really examine what makes us uncomfortable and what our discomforts Mm -hmm. are like you know we're not encouraged to kind of sit with it and acknowledge it and maybe confirm what our biases are or what our potential social privileges are so once like a film comes along and it's like kind of like telling you that you know (laughs) hey this is kind of like something that you're you have a privilege for like for example Jordan Peele's Get Out which was very kind of like on the nose metaphor a lot of people kind of were uncomfortable with that they didn't like being told that there was maybe something they have to acknowledge but yeah I think a lot of people don't Mm. like to sit in that discomfort which always surprises me because the horror genre is all about you know making us face up to discomfort you know Mm -hmm. you would have thought that um you know all of us really should just be like veterans in looking at our shadows and the dark side so I don't know I just I have to just believe that (laughs) These people are not true horror fans. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm making, you know, that's a radical statement. I don't mm. want to exclude anybody, but I just, I just have to like, I'm, I just feel very dubious if when people come out with these statements, because if like, if you, if you love horror, then by definition, you know, by default, it's in your nature to go outside your comfort zone psychologically. Like you're looking at some, you know, dark material. So you, we should all be the ones like championing, um, those radical changes radical transformations so yeah I just I just feel like wow you know um yeah you haven't you been watching horror like in <laughs> a, a, a bit more like intellectually like I I, I don't know it always amazes me <laughs> yeah and I, I think that's kind of very much the nail on the head <laughs> I think it's a a lot of a lot of it is kind of not engaging with it from a intellectual or kind of critical standpoint it's very much like you know and like don't get me wrong I love my schlocky trashy you know so bad there could be horror films where I you know where I can leave my brain at the door I adore them but at the same time I think certain people only want that type of horror content and I'm just like that's just so limiting but I think like (laughs) I like how you said that you know this genre like this is what it does it kind of like forces us to kind of like acknowledge what is you know uncomfortable and to kind of deal with these topics so I want to know what you think about this one which I think is a very 
divisive topic amongst um, horror fans and it's one that causes a lot of discourse but I want to know what you where you sit in the kind of camp of like censorship and stuff like that because I'm always flip-flopping I never really mm-hmm. know where to plant my flag and um, yeah. maybe that's just because I'm like polyamorous and bisexual and I don't like to choose mm-hmm. but um, <laughs> I just want like do you think there's a line on what is mm-hmm. acceptable in horror cinema and horror film like what can be portrayed or do you think because it's mm-hmm. art it's all permissible yeah another great question um and this is something that preoccupies me quite a lot mm. actually i would say i'm a bit of an extremist on this one i am 100% against censorship mm-hmm. i don't think there is a line on what's acceptable in cinema and film especially in horror mm-hmm. um i am 100% on the side of the artist and creator I hate the thought that their vision would be in any way swayed or or controlled or coerced. Mm. Um, I think, you know, I have a lot of respect for the artistic process. I'm not a filmmaker myself, mm-hmm. but having studied psychoanalysis, I understand that censorship is repression, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it is a very, it's a very risky game because we think that by disallowing something from being represented that we've done like the benevolent thing we've done the right thing by Mm -hmm. society but pushing pushing it outside the bounds of representation doesn't make it cease to exist it's simply going to go and find a a hiding place to play out Mm -hmm. and there in in obscurity um it might cause more damage actually because it's sort of like on the sidelines and we don't we don't have it in our full view we don't have a conscious understanding of it and to me this is this is a recipe for psychopathology you know um Mm. I'm very much for um I mean, obviously, within reason, I would never want there to be like hate speech or, Mm -hmm. you know, like um, (laughs) anything that is obviously like calling for genocide or anything like that. Like, (laughs) I should just obviously come out and declare that that's that should go without saying. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that in terms of what the artist desires to represent, um, you know, especially in horror, you know, a lot of the times people are working through a lot of, you know, unconscious material that is very dark Mm -hmm. and making a film is actually a very like therapeutic process for them because they're working through and processing trauma and really difficult things that end up being manifested on the screen. Right. Mm -hmm. And the idea that that process would be, like tampered with or interrupted by let's say a studio executive who's like not at all you know on board with the artistic vision of the director they're just coming in and saying well our focus group says this is offensive you know (laughs) that idea like just annoys me because it's like you know I think that ultimately I think it maybe it depends on the genre I just think that that the horror genre should be like this um like off limits space where Mm. lots of stuff just gets played out and processed. Um, I'm thinking of movies like even, um, you know, I'm thinking of like, uh, like Lucifer Valentine's movies and like August underground, Mm. you know, movies that are so like disgusting and, and sick that they almost look like snuff films, you know, Mm. Um, it's not going to be to everyone's taste, but but I would like to say that I'm glad they exist because that preoccupied the director and it needed to be made and it, you know, it needed to be processed. So that's really where I sit on the debate. (laughs) Mm, Yeah, no, interesting. And I kind of like, I like how that like preface of like, you know, it needed to be processed and stuff like this, because who knows, maybe, you know, the hope is that there's not actually kind of genuinely kind of like, problematic people that are making these films but like Mm. maybe it's like that kind of like weird kind of like catch 22 of like maybe it's better that they actually processed this these feelings through the you know guise of like art and a film rather than potentially 
doing something realistic <laughs> in the world. Like now that's just me, my brain going very to the worst ultimate po- possibility. <laughs> but hey, that's my brain. <laughs> um, but yes, no, I agree. And I actually love what you yeah. said about how horror as like a genre should be the kind of like the one place that is kind of like more off limits that kind of like is the you know the bastion that kind of champions that type of filmmaking and Mm -hmm. I want to know what you think about this question because this is something as well that after listening to as on your own and like the Patreon but also on the projections podcast like some of your Mm -hmm. um, discussions on like erotic thrillers and erotic cinema (laughs) and stuff like that it's something that I think you'll have a really interesting take on but to me anyway I feel like horror is like the only kind of genre that isn't falling victim to this mass yeah. kind of sanitization and desexualization of most of the media that we're getting. I want to yeah. know, do you think that is the case or do you think that horror or maybe mainstream horror is possibly going down the route mm-hmm. of falling victim, but indie horror is rejecting it? I want to know what you think about that, because to me, a lot of the media that's coming out now films and shows even if there's like sex scenes in it don't feel sexy and I'm just like what's (laughs) happened to our media (laughs) oh my god yes absolutely like I kind of wish that I could be chatting with you in a pub about this like I (laughs) I think I just love the way that you articulate these questions these are such important points um because I totally feel you I also have that reaction I just feel like I feel like our culture has suddenly been taken over by normies <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm just like it feels like but it's also like it feels like you know when you're like that kind of like metaphor of like you know the frog in like a like hot water or yes. cold water type thing it feels like it's just happened and now it's just like oh shit we're surrounded by this and I'm just like how did that happen it's like this weird gradual shift and I just I don't like it (laughs) exactly yeah you're absolutely right like it's been sort of incremental but imperceptible but now suddenly like we can feel the water boiling and it's like oh no like yeah totally um yeah I mean if if you've heard me on on projections podcast um you know I'm I'm a hardcore girl, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, um, I, I have a lot of time and respect for people creating radical content, whether that be in, you know, uh, mainstream cinema or in, on the fringes or in, um, movies where there's unsimulated sex, you mm-hmm. know, I think that hardcore deserves to be made, you know, uh, it should not it shouldn't it shouldn't need to justify it is it it it, its existence like it is a legitimate methodology you Mm -hmm. know and um yeah I think I think you are right to say that some there's something about the horror genre that still accommodates the potential for Mm -hmm. uh extreme content um and this remains really like a rebellious act against that sanitization and desexualization of media. Um, I think that, I I don't know whether it is always consciously deliberate, but I Mm. just think that because the horror genre is predicated on that kind of the element of fear, Mm -hmm. when you're dealing with that emotion, you have to, your, your methodology has to, take you into the unknown you know like it it, mm-hmm. it it hinges on being comfortable in the unknown in the dark and so I think that actually cre- makes the horror genre um, have this extraordinary fortitude for containing otherwise unpalatable material and this to me is like it, it, this is this is like a superpower in our culture now mm-hmm. you know and it should absolutely be preserved and fought for and celebrated, you know, and things and, and I'm, I'm, you know, 
I, I'm with you. Like I love all kinds of movies. I'm, you know, I from the, from lowbrow to highbrow. I'm mm-hmm. I'm not discriminatory. <laughs> like I love schlocky stuff. I love, you know, I love *Malignant*, for example. Mm. Oh yes, <laughs> give me gay. Just give me like a Gabriel, a *Malignant* every year. I'll be happy. Like it's just <laughs> yeah. And like have just like slight tangent, but have you seen *Orphan mm. First Kill*? I haven't seen it yet. I'm dying to see it. <laughs> okay, well Did I won't like say. It? I adored it. Like my takeaway is anyone who loves *Malignant* <gasps> will love this film that's my personal oh, takeaway my <laughs> oh my god you're giving me so much hope because I've seen the first movie I loved Orphan mm. so now okay I'm I am I'm gonna run not walk this week <laughs> to go and see this new movie you've inspired me <laughs> oh I'm an influencer at the end like pr- success and um, but yes like <laughs> mini tangent but yes like I just like Esther is also probably one of the best horror like antagonists I think of in a very long time so I'm just like give me an orphan film every year as well as long as Isabel (laughs) Furman can keep doing it give me more orphan movies absolutely yes and little tangent there but um kind of circling back to that topic of like kind of the desanitization and desexualization this is kind of like and nothing to do with like horror itself more like where this is coming from this is what I think uh, is possibly maybe majorly responsible for a lot of what's been happening. And I want to know if like you, you've picked up on something similar, but to me, I think a big responsible, like, like entity, like, you know, ominous entity for what has <laughs> happened is social media companies, because yeah. like, you know, these companies are essentially what drive and control our culture and how people connect with each other now for the last what 15 more years and Mm -hmm. on these companies you can't have any form of real kind of self-expression like you know when it comes to like nudity or anything sexual it's very much nope we don't want that we don't like that and I think it reflects in wider society like I think it's having a trickle down effect in a way that because of how we connect online is so desexualized it's leeching into wider culture and I want to know if you think that that's possibly where this is stemming from yeah yeah I think that's such a great um hypothesis for what could be the cause of this um yeah I mean I can only speculate as well I don't Mm -hmm. have any data on this but it seems as though these companies are like they're pushing for certain content um and it's mm. very prov- it's it's it, there's like a profit motive it is not to elevate artists and creativity <laughs> it is li- their algorithms are literally just like um paving the way for content at this point and mm-hmm. um it's it's it, i mean i i know that cinema goers like tr- the, the true cinephiles out there you know they'll look at this and they'll see right through it and they just follow their own instincts and they know what they're they love yeah but it is more about how it's um shaping like mass consumption Mm -hmm. and influencing tastes in populations of people that other you know normally wouldn't really interact that readily with horror content or 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 the film industry and it is it is sort of like a tastemaker, but in the most like dystopian mm. way possible. <laughs> yeah. It is in, in the sort of most banal way possible and, and you know, incredibly dystopian. So, um, yeah, I, I do see that as well in terms of, you know, the hierarchy of trending topics and mm-hmm. manufactured like drama around movies, you know, it's mm. just so it's so cynical. <laughs> yeah, and oh, that's actually like almost like a perfect transitional segue into this question, that kind of manufactured drama, <laughs> because this <laughs> is like, and it could be potential actual discourse drama, but this mm-hmm. is something that, this is a question that always like is always just kind of going on my mind it's always like just always there never goes away and it's one of the ones that like I'm always excited to see what each guest kind of thinks about it because like I'm just like please help me solve it but um, (laughs) like I want to know like what you think um 
do you think like the concept of the like the academic literary concept of like the death of the author applies to horror films and kind of like similarly kind of overlapping with this question because I think it's quite linked like mm-hmm. the whole kind of art versus artist debate because I think they are kind of very intricately I don't think you can actually separate them that much but like yeah. I want to know do you think like horror filmmakers mm-hmm. and like artists creatives are in any way kind of like responsible for how a viewer reacts to a film what their takeaway is or maybe a better clarifier is like do you think filmmakers should have any accountability for what they put out there as in like Mm -hmm. if if there's like a negative reaction do you Mm -hmm. think that they should be accountable for that like I want to know what you think of this sure sure another wonderful question um (laughs) so it's something, this is something that I think about a lot. And I am someone who maybe because of the nature of how I look at films, because mm. I come from a psycho- psychoanalysis background. Um, I love auteur studies. So mm. I love deep diving into the complex minds of filmmakers. When I, when I find out that someone has like, you know, a number of films, mm. you know, to their credit and they've already directed like, let's say 10 films or however many, that to me is like, okay, I'm, this tells me something about their perception. Their, their their perspective, their mm. preoccupations, the, the shape of their like inner life, their psyche. So mm. I just love auteur studies. I think there is um, nothing wrong with, um, you know, I mean, at least for me, I'm totally like a fangirl for like Kubrick and like mm. David Lynch, Lars von Trier, Catherine Breillat, you know, Hanukkah, I could go on and on. I love, mm. I love serial filmmakers, you know, because... Mm-hmm. Because they're obsessive types, you know, they yep. they have to continue to return and almost like infuriatingly cover the same ground. Sometimes they're going around in circles, you know, mm. but they're obsessed. They they feel this weird compulsion to keep coming back. And that coming back then translates into the signifier that we then identify and say, oh, yeah, that's Lynchian. The red curtain is Lynchian, mm. you know? So it becomes like the lexicon for how we understand that director. So I love auteur studies. I have no problem with, you know, celebrating prolific directors. I'm totally like a fangirl like that. I call them all maestro, you know? <laughs> I, I love like worshiping at their altar. And I don't think that um, there's anything wrong with that for me personally. But in on the question of whether they are responsible for how film film viewers are reacting to their to their movies um again this might seem like a bit of an extremist answer um but i'm a scorpio so i'm an extremist Um, i don't i don't i do not know middle ground i don't compromise i live in the extremes i believe that they are 100 percent not responsible at Mm. all i think that they're only responsible for their own creation what they put on film and how we react to it is a reflection of our, our of our own subjective preoccupations. Mm-hmm. What we perceive in it is a reflection only of what we're projecting on the screen. And that's why I call my lecture series projections mm. because it's just about, you know, what we're bringing to and, and like pasting onto their material it's really a reflection of us and they can't be held responsible for that they're only responsible for their vision now obviously you know there's some cases where people have um acted wrongly or unlawfully Mm. i'm thinking of like roman polanski like he was um, convicted for um sexual assault um and i think when those things happen um you know, do do I excuse that? No, I think that is a matter for law enforcement. You know, that is a matter for the police or whatever, you know, uh, whatever methodology yeah. is best suited to bring that person to justice. But would that still, would that actually prevent me from enjoying his movies? Honestly, no, because, um, you know, I, I happen to really love uh, Rosemary's Baby, for example, mm-hmm. um, it was a game changer for psychological horror. So I 
speaking truthfully, I couldn't pretend to live in a world where that movie wasn't made. I couldn't not refer to it mm-hmm. because it's influenced so much that came after it. Um, so I'm I'm quite comfortable remaining a fan of the movie while also acknowledging that, you know, something unlawful took place and he should face justice, you know? 100%. I think that's like the best balanced approach myself, like mm. as in, you know, because again, that comes back to, and this is like one of the reasons why I wanted to start my, this whole like fishnets and philosophy project, because like mm. I personally, you know, was very disillusioned with philosophy as an academic discipline because it, it felt very much like we're philosophers locked in our ivory tower and we don't really want <laughs> to connect with the world. And I'm just like, no, philosophy is really important and it should be something that is taught to every single person just so people have critical thinking skills from an early age. Um, that's my approach. Um, but I think, but like, you know, your balanced like perspective of like going, I can enjoy this movie while also acknowledging the fact that the person who was behind it did a really shitty thing and like yeah should face justice for that like that shows an ability of being like critical awareness of being able to actually <laughs> like kind of have that kind of separation of acknowledging it and I think there's also like a very distinctive difference between you know I'm enjoying this art as a piece of art versus I'm going to continue financially supporting someone who's done something awful like because I think they're different things like is yeah. in so say for example if you you know if a movie was made before you know information came out about yeah. someone before they were charged that that time that distance in time changes it whereas like if after it's well known that someone is abusive or has been convicted of something and then there's a new project that comes out mm-hmm. then I think that's slightly different because that's kind of an act of choice to still engage with something that's after that knowledge is in existence yeah. so yeah I think that slightly can change it but again it's it, at the end of the day it is person to person and um, it is a subjective mm. thing but yeah no <laughs> I love I love that you had that very balanced you know hey I can I can enjoy this film but also <laughs> acknowledge the person was a dick but also and this is something that uh, the film director Ashlyn Clark I've heard her on a few different podcasts say before yeah. as well but you know at the end of the day a film like yes there is like you know as you said auteur studies and there are directors and it is their creative vision but the film is made as a collaborative project absolutely you know at the end of the day even if like you know one person was really (laughs) shitty and did something it wasn't the entire film crew that was convicted of assault or whatever so you're you know you can still support their work as well so yeah it's more, very nuanced. I don't think there's an easy black and white answer, but then there <laughs> never is with these things. That's why I'm doing a why horror podcast to try and get some form of an answer. I love that. Yes. I I, I can see your philosophical um, approach shining through here. And you're absolutely correct to say that we need to um, remove philosophy from this like remote, mm. distant discipline, you know, just exclusively for like a handful of people and actually like encourage lots and lots of people every day to like apply it to their lives. It's in practical ways because it's, it's the most important discipline, you know? So I love that you say that and love that this podcast stands for that, you know, congratulations. It's so important. Oh, well, <laughs> thank you so much. Um, mini tangent, but uh, in my master's thesis for philosophy, I I don't think that the graders quite liked the fact that I put in a paragraph talking about how I feel academic philosophy is locked in its ivory <laughs> tower. That's probably why my grade wasn't as high as it could have been. But hey, I stand by that. <laughs> Good for you. It's their loss for not recognizing that. <laughs> <laughs> it's really impressive of you for you to, to to say that oh well thank you but um but we're coming up to the hour mark now so before I let Sorry. you go this is a some another kind of question which um I'm interested to hear especially the the why part because I just love your perspective on everything mm-hmm. but like do you like what are your favorite subgenres of horror and particularly why like is there a reason you turn to a certain subgenre what does it give you yes so my favorite subgenre, probably 
of all time is psychological horror. It shouldn't mm-hmm. come as a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love anything to do with, um, you know, sort of like ontological horror, mm-hmm. um, where we see, um, an unreliable, you know, nar- narrator or character who mm. seems like uh, somehow emotionally disturbed or mentally disturbed. I love the representation of mental illness on screen. And I think the horror genre is best equipped for really like conveying emotionally what mm. that feels like, you know, for yeah. a person to go through that terror in their psyche and how their world looks. And, and, um, and I think it's, it's a really good, uh, way of like opening up dialogues, you know, mm. about mental health and stuff. So, um, I love psychological horror. Um, I also really love, uh, body horror. I love mm. David, David, <laughs> the greatest of all time. Mm-hmm. And also a Canadian. So yeah, rep the Canadians. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. A fellow Canadian like me. Uh, you know, he, I think he is my country's greatest export. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd also agree him. as a, a Canadian citizen through my father. So I like to claim oh, yeah. it as well. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So my, my citizenship photo is literally my baby photo because my dad got <laughs> so when I had to renew my passport and go in with yes this is me <laughs> like <laughs> and many years in between but yes so Canadian citizen through my dad <laughs> love that we have that in common that is so cool where is your dad from uh my dad and all the family over that direction are from Hamilton Toronto area mm-hmm. yeah amazing fantastic <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I love body horror and I guess in addition to that, I also really like, um, I love vampires. I love sci-fi. Mm. Um, I do also have like a few like zombie movies that I really love. So I, it's hard to choose really. I yep. love, the, I love it all. <laughs> exactly. I like that answer. And I'm also very much the same. Like whenever someone asks me like, what's your favorite horror film or what's your favorite genre? My response <laughs> is always, as a polyamorous, bisexual, <laughs> genderqueer switch, how dare you ask me to choose one thing? Because that is not possible. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah. But, you know, I love all those answers. And yes, I'm very much the same. I don't like I definitely would have some that I return to most and some genres that definitely kind of are ones that kind of definitely make me reflect more but then mm. I just enjoy watching horror in general like you know give me it all please and um, yes more like, is more exactly and what a brilliant place to kind of end our discussion on more mm-hmm. is more when it comes to horror so yeah. just before I let you go Mary um where can people find you and support your work and is there any kind of upcoming like mm-hmm. stuff that you have on your Patreon that you want to support like you know to plug or anything like that Sure thing. So um, you can find me at Psychstar, that's P-S-Y-C-S-T-A-R mm-hmm. on Twitter and Instagram. And that's where I post uh, announcements for my upcoming lectures. I've actually got a, a new one on in a calendar for the Freud Museum, which will be an online course. It's mm. open internationally. It is Women in Horror Films. Oh, that sounds really interesting. <laughs> yeah, and that's going to be taking place uh, on Halloween weekend, 30th mm. and 31st of October. And you can also find me on Patreon. Um, I'm at patreon.com slash Mary Wild, and I have over... 50 episodes on there already so if you're into this kind of um you know topics on uh, psychoanalysis and film and culture then you can find me there amazing well thank you so much for joining me mary i've absolutely in loved this conversation (laughs) it's been an absolute blast and to my listeners keep your eyes and ears peeled for any future episodes that are going to be dropping